Well, we are wrapping up the year-long series uh, on grace and truth, and we've looked at so many different aspects of grace, and it took the whole first six, uh, six months of the year to uh, zoom in on different aspects of grace in the second half, uh, digging in deep to truth, and then this last month just talking about the truth is we need grace in every aspect of our lives. So I'm going to be concluding that series as well as tying in uh, uh, getting a word uh, and the Rama ministry that we're offering to everyone in the church uh, this Sunday and next Sunday. But this verse has been our theme verse all year. If there's, if there's nothing else that's happened over the year of, of these, this series, uh, I hope that you've memorized this verse. Because <laughs> I've, I've said it every, every sermon I've preached this year. It's, the word became flesh and dwelled among us. Speaking of Jesus, this is in the first chapter of the Gospel of John. It says, And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And of his fullness we have all received in grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And uh, it's... Uh, it's, it's through what this verse, one of the things, of course, we've lot, this verse tells us a lot, and we've been exploring this all year, but it's God's word is the means by which we receive, we receive, we encounter, we get an impartation of the fullness of grace and truth. And uh, today we're going to explore particularly one aspect of how we receive God's word. A couple of things about this verse before we move on, though is that, that opening statement, the Word became flesh. And the big idea here is that in Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ took, came and took on human form, the eternal, objective Word of God became human. Now, you all should know this, but I'm actually surprised at how many Christians actually don't, uh, have not, understood that you know when jesus was born that wasn't the beginning of his life jesus is eternal he's the eternal word of god and the idea that god the word and and most people believe when you read the creation account in genesis it says and god said you know when he was gonna he was gonna speak so god spoke and the Spirit was hoovering over the face of the earth. And so we really see all three persons of the Trinity in that it was the Father who was speaking, but it was the Word that was spoken. All right, And, and the Word is Christ, and the Spirit was there, and all three interacting in the act of creation. And all through Scripture, even through the Old Testament, you see glimpses of the Trinity, and, and Jesus is always the expression of, of, of God to humanity. And, and he came in the fullest expression through the incarnation. He is the embodiment of God. <clears throat> and incarnation is a big word. It's based on the Latin word for meat. Con carne. You ever go to a Mexican restaurant? Con carne means with meat. <laughs> in carne is, uh, is God came in the flesh, in meat. 
<laughs> in a body. And so the, uh, the, the implications of that are really endless. In Christ, God made himself, and that is his character, his truth, and his grace, relatable to us. We can grasp it. Okay, it became part of our experience. And that's why he did that. That's why God and God had to do that. And this is, again, one of the things that sets Christianity apart from every other religion, every other philosophy, that God came down into the midst of the world, the world that had rejected him, the world that was cursed, the world that was distorted and by sin and Satan, and he got into the mess personally. And, and, and the fact that the Word became flesh is especially important when we try to understand God's Word. Okay, so this is true historically in the person of Jesus, that he became flesh, he was incarnate. But it's also true today. This is another thing, and uh, we need to understand that the God we worship, the God of the Bible, is an incarnate God. And it's not only in Jesus that he's incarnate. That's the fullest expression. But God is in the midst of his creation. Always has been. Always will be. He's not distant. He's not far off. He's not what some people believe that God created everything and then, and then decided to go somewhere else and just let everything kind of operate uh, and work itself out. That's, it's like God's got another business on the you know that he's he's doing no this is not a side job <laughs> he is he is in creation uh and, and and the bible throughout refers that we you know in romans it says through creation the invisible attributes of god are clearly seen in other words things like trees and planets and solar systems and sunrises and oceans all of those things tell us aspects we get a glimpse but the fullest expression is when he came as a person so god is incarnate in fullest in jesus but that didn't end when jesus arose right he continues to be uh, alive and with us in a very very personal way and, and god's word is meant to be interactive incarnational real and meaningful right? the bible was never intended to be a history book about what god did it's a textbook about what god does and and we need to understand that that the things that we learn from scripture we learn these to know how god works and that means how he should he is to work in our lives we need to bring our, that expectation to it and so we're just going to review, uh, and uh, there's three Greek words in the New Testament. New Testament was written in Greek, uh, Old Testament in Hebrew. Some small parts were written in Aramaic, but basically it was written in Greek, the New Testament. And um, there's three words that are used in the New Testament to refer to God's Word. 
And we're just going to review those quickly. One is logos. You've probably heard that before. Uh, let's use the most because it's the most general term. It's used over 300 times. And we see this in John 1. Perfect example. In the beginning was the logos, the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. So that can mean a word, like the word apple, you know, or whatever. But it really is a term that refers to a, a more a general or broad idea, and it, and it is the idea of something, the thought behind the word, or the reasoning, the motive, the meaning, all right? And so when you write out a sentence or any word, is just a, 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 part, a language, a tool of language to communicate a concept. And that's why we can translate. I'm always amazed when I go to different countries and the translators. And uh, they have the hardest job. It's a thousand times harder than preaching a sermon. Because they have to hear it in one language and then switch it and spit it out in another language. And the, and the good ones, it's, it's fun to have a good translator that can keep up with you. So that, you know, by the, you can kind of get pace that they're, they're saying the last word or two and I can start saying the next phrase. And you have to go phrase by phrase because nothing is translated word by word. It's idea by idea. And so it's that idea that can actually be said in different ways, but it's the same idea. <clears throat> it's important that they understand the idea. I think I told you this story before. In, in Brazil, I was talking about the origin, uh, origin story. I was using that as an example. <clears throat> Everybody has an or, origin story, like the beginning of uh, uh, Apple computers was, was Steve Jobs in his garage, and, and how important that is. This is a, <clears throat> this is a diversion, uh, but uh, just, just think. And the translator, he's a really brilliant man, uh, and a great translator, but he thought I said the orange story. And so for about 10 minutes, I'm going on about how important it is that we know and understand our origin. And he was saying it's really important that we understand and know our oranges. <laughs> and finally, someone in the front row said, excuse me, excuse me. He's getting it wrong. He's saying orange, not origin. And everybody laughed. And so that was a, that was a joke for the rest of the week. <laughs> but you see, the idea, that's a perfect example of that. It wasn't the word. Uh, that was important, it was the idea. And this is what logos means. It can, it can refer, as I said, it can refer to something specific, or this verse, it's referring to the person of Jesus himself. And so word is this grand, uh, logos is this grand uh, a word that can, it means so many different things. <clears throat> All right, graphe is, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, I don't speak Greek, it's Greek to me. Uh, graphe is used um, 51 times in the New Testament, and uh, the best use uh, for this purpose is found in 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, all scripture, and that's the word in Greek, graphe, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. By the way, most people that, for, for years, and even I taught on uh, this same topic, and I would only refer to Logos and Rhema. Rhema will be the next one I talk about. Because in the 
in the charismatic tradition especially, uh, this is a teaching that, that goes back over 100 years, that there's logos and there's rhema. But many pastors actually don't realize there's this third word that's actually extremely important we understand as one of the words in the New Testament that's used to refer to God's word. And this one refers to the written word. Graphic, graphics, we still use that. It's, it's part of our language. It's something written. And so the written word of God, how many have a Bible with them? I have one in this hand. <coughs> and about 50 of them here. <laughs> uh, all packed in that little device. The written word of God, the Bible, is our only authoritative source of revelation. We must understand this. All other forms of hearing or, or revelation from God must be submitted to the objective standard of God's written word, rightly understood and properly applied. Okay, so you can't just find a verse that you can twist to make it fit your idea. You need to take your ideas and whatever you uh, experience, your experiences, whether, it doesn't matter how spiritual or even how supernatural they are. Paul said even if an angel himself appears to you uh, and preaches a different gospel, don't believe him. All right? So it doesn't matter how intense a spiritual experience is if it doesn't line up to Scripture. Okay, and we need to understand, and Scripture rightly understood and properly applied. All right, the third word is Raymond. That's really what this uh, morning is all about, because we're doing the Raymond ministry, and the Raymond teams, everyone that's been part of the Raymond ministry and gone through the training has signed up to offer a, a, a Raymond word to Every, hopefully, we're wanting everyone in the, in the church to receive a word, to start off 2020 with a word from the Lord. And so 67 times in the New Testament, this word is used. And here, it's, uh, Jesus uses it in Matthew 4. He said, uh, he, said he answered, <clears throat> it is written, that happens to be the graphe, word of form of the graphe. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus is referring to an Old Testament uh, scripture, saying it is written that man shall not live every, uh, by bread, by natural substances, but by every, every rhema that proceeds. And so this is, rhema is used most often uh, referring to something spoken, the actual words that come out of someone's mouth as opposed to something written or the idea behind them. And so rhema often is, considered, uh, uh, is explained as the now word of God. Okay, <clears throat> So someone would read a graphe, but hear a rhema in order to understand the logos. Does that make sense? Seems pretty straightforward. <clears throat> These words are sometimes used interchangeably. It's good to understand this. Um, in that it's not a strict uh, or use. So with, just like in English, you, uh, words can be used 
um, more as synonyms, but it's, this is a good way to explain the three different methods in which God communicates and three different ways that we can access God's Word. Because there is the Word of God that never changes, that's certainly not in any one language, because that is the Word that existed before humanity was created and any language was spoken. Uh, it was just the Word, Logos. But then there's the written word that was written down through the centuries as God revealed it to, to men uh, and prophets, and it was recorded. But then there's also this active rhema word. And just an illustration to kind of uh, apply it uh, to a relationship in our day. You know, I married my wife. Uh, obviously, I married her because I loved her. I told her I loved her on the day we married, and if it ever changes, I'll let her know. Have you ever heard that joke before? You think that's good enough? No. So she may understand the idea, the logos, that, you know, I love her. And that's good. I'm, I'm, I hope she does. But if I write a little note and say, I love you, you know, or sign, you know, send her an email and or a text and love, Cameron. You know, that's a written, uh, repeated reference to the truth of our relationship. But how much more significant if I hold her hand in a moment of tenderness and say, "Hey, honey, I really love you." And so those three ways that are, uh, uh, something is communicated are all equally important and necessary and in the same way uh, we need to hear God's word uh, for the in the now and not just read about what was but we need to hear now and so Rhema is often uh, used for the act of prophecy And a few years ago, we just started using that for a Rama team because when we talk about prophecy, if someone is from um, an, an unbeliever or grew up, say, in a Baptist church uh, or other churches, prophecy had a, a meaning. It always meant end times, <laughs> you know. Uh, um, uh, and and the way, and even even other charismatics, Pentecostals, especially. Uh, 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 in an older tradition, prophetic ministry was always basically pointing out people's sins. And, um, and it was often used uh, uh, in an unhealthy way. And so we really just wanted to use a term that was neutral. Uh, most people have never heard of rhema, and if they have, they've heard of it in the context of a teaching like you're getting today. Prophecy is uh, best translated telling forth uh, words from God are forth-telling, not future-telling, or not fortune-telling. It's really important that we understand this. That's uh, our Rama teams and, and hearing a word from God personally or for someone else is not, you know, is not getting a, a like a, 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 a what are those a medium, you know, or a fortune teller or even using your own personal discernment to pick up on stuff and communicate what you see. It's tuning in to 
uh, hearing from God and communicating to the person you're ministering or even to yourself what God is saying. And, so it's, and that's what we train the Rhema teams to distinguish and how to figure out, is this, is this you just picking up on something, just using your natural intuition or intellect, or is this actually you hearing something from God? Uh, and again, it sometimes can refer to the future. Prophecy definitely at, at times talks about future events, but it's, that's actually not the majority of time. It's usually talking about something that's happening right now and it's something that is going on. It's for something that's going on in your life uh, to give you direction from the Lord. <clears throat> uh, so it's speaking forth the Word of God for the moment. The Bible actually has, um, uh, someone went through and counted it, I found this in a resource, about 800 direct references to prophecy and many, many more indirect references to someone receiving or speaking a prophetic word. And uh, my Bible, this Bible, has just under 1,100 pages. And so if you were to spread those out evenly through Scripture, that's about 70 to 80% of Scripture would be prophecy. So there's prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. And the lives, read through the Bible. I mean, just consider all the people in Scripture and how the lives of nearly every biblical person was directly impacted by a prophetic revelation. Right? And so, again, if we understand the Bible not as a history book about what God used to do, but a textbook about what, how God do, what God does, then we should learn from this that like the people in Scripture, how God related to them is a pattern that we should expect God to relate to us. So if we are to be biblical Christians, we should expect our lives to be influenced by prophecy. Right? It's, it's not optional. And the reason we need to really teach us and emphasize this um, is that certain traditions in the Christian church you know, uh, for many years have taught that prophecy is ended. And once the scripture canon was, was finished, um, it's, it's done. There's nothing else to be said. Uh, but uh, that's not true. Uh, because even in the New Testament, they had scripture. They had a canon, all right? And they, everything that they said had to be based on the Scripture, which we, that's what we call the Old Testament. And then the church uh, included into that canon a very, select, uh, select, uh, very carefully selected portion of writings from the New Testament that had equal authority with the Old Testament. But even in the New Testament, they had Scripture and rhema words. All right? And it was was uh, essential, read through Acts, and how much was uh, directed by the active Word of God, even to the point of Paul's travel. He wanted to go one place, but then he'd have a, a rhema experience, a prophetic word, and tell him to go somewhere else, and he'd go somewhere else. And so the activity of the church was actively directed and steered by prophetic ministry. And so we are to 
We should expect that. And if we're not experiencing that on a regular basis, then my response is that we're not really being truthful to the New Testament uh, teaching, which makes the fundamentalists uncomfortable. But like I've said many times, I'm more fundamental than the fundamentalist. All right? It's how they operated. It's how we operated. Uh, and that's why it's important for us. <clears throat> All right, a little bit more about what Raymond ministry is, what prophetic ministry is. This, uh, this morning is really teaching, uh, 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 teaching through the whole idea of it. 1 Corinthians 14 says, this is a key verse in understanding how prophecy is to work in the life of a believer. It says, he who prophesies speaks edification, that can be translated building up or strengthening, and exhortation, that's stirring up, uh, encouraging, motivating, and comfort to men. All right? Those three aspects uh, are, in that one little verse, summarizes the purpose for prophecy. And it doesn't only apply to beginner prophecy, it applies to all prophecy. And I say this because... Many people that get into prophetic ministry think that this verse applies to like beginner prophecy. And then once you get more mature, uh, then you can, can have different kind of prophecies. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, 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 it doesn't say that here. It says if you prophesy, it's to be building up uh, stirring up or comfort. So all prophecy, New Testament prophecy, must, in my opinion, based on this scripture, be constrained to these three purposes. More seasoned prophetic ministries may give more specific or directive words, but they still must adhere to edification, exhortation, and comfort. All right? So we teach our people, and if, you're, if, you, if you go through our courses on how to hear God's voice and how to minister in the prophetic, we say no directive words. In other words, you don't tell people, quit your job, sell all that you have, because God has a purpose for your life. And, you know, and, and that's like, whoa, wait a minute, you don't say that. If, you, if you're hearing that, you need to filter it. And so you might change it and go... <coughs> You know, it just encouraged God saying to be prepared for major changes, <laughs> you know, and be open to hear God's uh, direction in your life. But you don't tell them to do something. Um, you know, there is a time when you've been uh, trained and, and uh, uh, experienced and mature, and there's a good basis where you can get more directive. And, and, or uh, more specific, uh, but it, it's, that comes through maturity. But even those directive words or specific words should produce edification, should produce exhortation, should stir people and encourage people, and it also should be a comfort. And so if it doesn't bring comfort and edification and encouragement, then you have to go, hmm, judge, judge the word by the fruit. If it's not producing that, people come to me and I heard this prophetic word and I just, I just can't rest. Well, well, that's probably 
You know, it might be because you're fighting what God's saying, but maybe it's not a word from God because it's not producing comfort. If it's from God, it should produce, boy, that really encouraged me. That's a signal of its accuracy. Or, boy, that really, man, it motivated me. That's a signal. Okay, that landed. It was something that, w- that was accurate. And it really, it really assured me. It gave me peace. Boom. All right? And if it doesn't produce that, then either it wasn't from God or, or there's something else going on. I'll get to that. Prophecy must be judged. Every time in the New Testament uh, where it mentions prophetic prophet ministry, especially uh, over individuals or churches, it includes the idea of judging. In Corinthians it says, let two or three, this is talking about in the midst of a, of a church service, First uh, Corinthians 14 is all about what to do when you come together. Uh, and they say, uh, Paul says, the scripture says, two or three at the most, uh, the idea here, and so uh, ministry or church services are not to be just prophetic fests where there's tons and tons of words. That used to be a problem. That's not a problem anymore. It's almost flipped. <laughs> and there's seasons. Okay, let me just tell you, I've been a, Christian, I've been a pastor for thir- over 30 years. I've seen where there's seasons where there's prophecy is easy. And there's seasons, there was seasons back in the 80s and uh, uh, early 90s. Almost every church service, someone would speak in tongues with interpretation. It was just normal. And um, that hardly ever happens. And I know other pastors of other churches that are just as charismatic, even more so than us, and they're the same thing. They're like, yeah, that's just not happening anymore. Um, But back then, prophetic ministry was actually quite rare. It was only like the prophet who would come through, you know, once a year. But now, man, people are prophesying up, you know, in, out, all around. It's really easy. There's just an open door for prophetic ministry. And so that's something that happens uh, frequently. In a church service, um, you know, it's okay to have prophetic words. There's a way that we do it here um, to make it meaningful. And then it says, let the others evaluate, or in other translations, it says judge what is said. Now, why would the Bible tell you to judge something? To make sure it's accurate, right? Which implies that you should expect there to be some inaccuracy. (laughs) Thessalonians. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said, hold on to what is good. In the verse that Paul is uh, exhorting the church to keep on prophesying and respect it, he also says, but test it. Okay? And so we just need to be comfortable with this, that prophetic words need to be evaluated and judged, and we hold on to the good. Eat the chicken, spit out the bones. (laughs) All right? So... Every time I preach, and all of the people on our preaching team, we spend hours developing our, our sermons. And, uh, and I've spent decades, decades, um, researching the Bible. And I've, I have no idea how many books I've read on Scripture, Scripture interpretation, 
all, these, all the topics that I teach on. So thousands and thousands of hours of preparation really go, go, has been put into every sermon. All right? And so, do you think every sermon is infallible? No. I make mistakes all the time. Sometimes I'll make a mistake and realize it later that day. I hate it when that happens. <laughs> but it's better than someone else finding out I made a mistake and coming to me later and saying, you know, when you said that, that wasn't quite right. right? So even, even after a, a lot of research and study, we can still make mistakes. How much more so uh, when you're just tuning into the Spirit of God and saying something spontaneously? So don't make the mistake of thinking that just because it's spontaneous that it's infallible. No, just be comfortable with the idea. Um, uh, even God's written word, which is completely 100% accurate and infallible, can be misinterpreted and uh, applied wrong, and people can take the, the, the accurate word of God and, and end up doing something really wrong based on it, right? How much more we need to evaluate our Raymond Wards. Mike Bickle is one of the lead teachers on this. He's written many, many books, great ministry. He leads the International House of Prayer out in, in, in uh, Kansas City. But his book on prophecy um, says, Prophecy is reporting in human words what God brings to mind. God conveys to our mind or spirit's thoughts which we communicate in contemporary language. They are a mixture of God's words and man's words. Some prophetic words may be 10% God and 90% man. Others may have a greater revelatory content. And so just understanding it's a mix. And as Christians, we are responsible to sort out how to uh, interpret and how to apply what is spoken over us or what we hear. Um, in another place in Corinthians, it says we know in part and we prophesy in part so that means part of it's right and part of it's not <laughs> and wisdom is just learning how to judge that and how to how to integrate that it's important it's not something to be don't don't scoff at it the bible says don't for, forbid prophecy you all may prophesy the bible teaches this but we need to know how to relate to it in a healthy way all right, quickly, what, what to do with the rhema word? I think the same thing that, apply, uh, that is taught about um, preaching and scripture um, should be applied to rhema words. Acts 17, 11, uh, Paul went from Thessalonica to another town called Berea, and the people in Berea says these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of uh, mind, with all readiness, and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. And so the scripture says the Bereans were more noble or fair-minded. They responded better. How? Uh, by receiving with all readiness. So when you receive a prophetic word, or when, God, when, you, when, when you experience hearing God's voice, receive it. Be expectant. Be ready to hear from God. Believe that God wants to speak to you and that he is still speaking. But then search the scriptures. Take it to the objective word of God. Find a biblical basis for it. 
Where is that coming from? What can, you, what can you stand on from the objective word that confirms that subjective word? And prophecy should always confirm a conviction. Okay? Conviction in the sense of this is something you believe or something you've heard personally. If you get a prophetic word that doesn't line up to something God's already said in your heart, then don't act on it. Okay? Until it's confirmed and there's and it's built upon a conviction that is based on Scripture. Does that make sense? And so just because someone says something, you don't just go out and do it. All right? You receive it, and then you search the Scriptures, and you allow it to, uh, to affect you. And you don't act on it until you're acting out of a conviction, something that you've... Uh, uh, something that's been developed into... Uh, something you believe, that you know that this is God, you know and you know her, you know, and you have a scriptural basis for it. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, it says, this will be the third, Paul says again, <clears throat> referring to the church in Corinth, says, this is the third time I'm coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. And so he's actually quoting an Old Testament verse. Jesus did that as well, quoted that same verse. And it's the idea that God, if it's God, he'll confirm it, all right? So look for confirmations. And uh, many times I'll hear something or somebody will say, oh, God's really saying this uh, to you or to the church or about something. And the first time I'll go, let me pray about that, you know? It's like, thanks, I appreciate that. But then if I hear it a second time, I go, hmm, that's interesting. Oh boy, if I hear it three or more times, God's into this, you know, and he'll bring it, he'll bring it through different avenues, all right? <laughs> when you read in scripture and the idea pops out, someone says something, God, you know, I just got an email from someone just yesterday, God put you on my heart, and he wrote out some things, I'm like, hmm, that's interesting, some guy, you know, I appreciate that. And so I weigh those things. And if it's confirmed, I give it even more weight. Submit it to those you trust, to leaders. Write it out. Keep a record of significant words. Um, and if you don't understand it, or if you don't uh, have a confirmation, then put it on the shelf. Don't forget about it. Put it on the shelf. You know, if something sits on the shelf for a while and there's no confirmation, it's like an old book you've never bothered to read, you know? Give it away. <laughs> Throw it away. <laughs> so, you know, someone, actually it was Chris Ballathan I heard him said, said, there needs to be an expiration date on some prophecies. <clears throat> Nearly all prophecies, personal prophecies, are conditional. The word of God is not conditional. God's word's going to happen whether you believe it or not. And there's things that God says about you in your life. It's going to happen whether you believe it or not, whether you want it or not. You'll benefit from it if you believe and cooperate, but it's just going to happen. But most prophetic words concerning your destiny, your ministry, your fruitfulness, or specific things, they're uh, conditional. In other words, you have to do something. You know, God's going to send you to the nations. You're going to impact thousands of lives. You know, but if you sit home and just watch TV every day and never bother to do anything, it's not going to happen. You need to take steps. And so that's part of, uh, of getting counsel and submitting it. Like, 
God prophesied over this. What should I do to, make, to, get, to be prepared to do it? But if there's no confirmation, put it in, putting it on the shelf. All right. Uh, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, I, and I know them, and they follow me. Four times in that chapter, chapter 10 of John, uh, he talks, Jesus talks about his sheep, his followers, hearing his voice. Not reading his book, but hearing his voice. And so I believe this is something every Christ follower should expect to experience, and it is something that we teach and emphasize Learning how to hear Jesus' voice personally and receiving it through others is really, and most importantly, receiving it through Scripture. God can speak to you right through Scripture, but He can speak to your heart. You can hear His voice. He can use other people to speak to you. All three work together. And, and getting good at that is the goal of, every, of discipleship. I don't want you dependent on me to know God's will for your life. That would be an improper use of my role as a pastor. My role and the role of ministry is to help you be able to hear and understand God for yourself and empower you in that journey. All right? Okay, Hebrews, this last verse in this message says, uh, speaking of Jesus Christ, he is the radiance of the glory of God. This is kind of a uh, very similar to the verse we opened with um, in John, where he's the fullness of uh, Jesus comes as the fullness, uh, the embodiment of, of God himself. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint. Jesus is the exact imprint of his nature. And listen, he, Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So Jesus perfectly expresses the, uh, the nature of God, and Jesus' word upholds the universe. All right, so everything in the entire universe is held up by the word of, which is Jesus. So what would happen if Jesus stopped speaking? It would all fall apart. Mm -hmm. all right? So Jesus hasn't stopped speaking. And if that's true of the universe, then that's true of every part of the universe. And it's true of your life. All right? And so if you're not hearing what Jesus is speaking concerning your life, it'll fall apart. Because his word holds up or holds together the whole universe. And it's his word that should be holding your life together. And you access his word through the graphe, the written word of God, through the logos, through the understanding of the, of the word of God, but also through the rhema, through actively hearing uh, God's word. And that's why it's so, so important to hear his voice and why we're making time this week and next week for you to receive from someone else why we have available every sunday the rhema team ministry and then if you want you can actually schedule a time on on a uh, you know that's not on sunday they love to do this they love to minister this and we love to teach this it's absolutely essential that each and every one of us are able to hear his voice of course we're able to hear his voice because christ came and took upon himself, like it said, that after making purification for sin, when he died on the cross and paid the payment for 
uh, uh, every sin that we've ever committed so that we, he took our sins so that we could have his righteousness. That then qualifies us for being able to hear God speak. And it, and it opens that door to where God can speak into our lives. And so every morning, uh, you know, pretty much every morning I get born again <laughs> because his mercies are new every morning. And, uh, and so if you've never received Christ, or if you've received Christ but you haven't been living it, there's never a time where you can't say, God, I receive fully what you did on the cross. And that is unto a relationship where you can hear his voice and have his voice not only hold your life together, but steer you to fulfill your, your destiny. Can we just close in a word of prayer? Yeah, so Father, we thank you that you've, you've, you've gone to such lengths to communicate your truth to us and your grace to us. Father, help us, especially as we launch into the new year, 2020, that we would have a 2020 vision for our lives because we've heard from you. And I pray that you would increase in each and every one of us uh, of the anointing for prophetic ministry, for hearing your voice, for operating in the now word, and also at being able to communicate that to the people in our lives. Lord, that we'd begin to learn how to integrate prophecy into just a regular conversations so that people can be blessed because they hear from you and not just from us. And Lord, we just pray an increase that each and every one here today, Lord, would be uh, uh, more attuned at hearing, receiving, and acting upon your word in a way that produces your, the fruit that you intend. In Jesus' name, amen.